I read to you a few moments ago from Mark's Gospel. Now for the next 10 minutes or so, I want to share with you in brief and yet sincerely the message of the hour. Jesus Christ is alive. The last phase of the ministry and the life of our blessed Lord on this earth is one of very quick and pulsating drama. The Gospels move us forward through his final week and especially the second half of the week there's a ceaseless momentum about everything that's happening. You actually need to read the four accounts to get the full picture. And it's not always in its proper sequence, but when you read them all and you uh, sort it all out, then you get an overview of everything that happened in that final week of our Savior's earthly ministry in and around the area of Jerusalem. There were many passions and prejudices and political intrigue in operation during that week. They were interwoven into the whole narrative of the gospel record. And within a period of 18 hours, our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, this Galilean speaker and preacher, this wonderful man who had come to heal and forgive and lift people from darkness and blindness and deafness and lameness and even death. He was arrested, he was tried, he was scourged, mocked, crucified, and after his death was buried by two very special friends, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. The little band of faithful followers were reeling under the impact of what had just happened. The disciples were devastated. But the devotion of the group of good and godly ladies is woven into the story and it shines through the gloom of the weekend. In fact, it was Mary Magdalene who was last at the cross and first at the tomb. And the story of the cross is, of course, preceding every chapter that speaks of the resurrection. But today I'm focusing on the resurrection. The events of the resurrection are well spoken of and well told and well narrated by the four gospel writers. Early on that Sunday morning, that first day of the week, very early, while it was still dark, four women can be seen making their way along through the shadowy ways toward Calvary, Golgotha. And the light is just breaking on the first day of the week, and they were heading toward the tomb where they had seen the Savior's body laid by those two faithful men. They are coming, and of course their reason for coming is to effect a full preparation of the body for formal burial. That was a temporary stopover for the body, in the minds of the disciples at that time. The youngest and foremost among them is Mary Magdalene. And along with her is Mary of Cleophas and Salome, and another lady called Joanna, who was the wife of one of Herod's stewards. Their minds are preoccupied with a major concern. Who shall roll away the stone? In the reading that I gave to you a little while ago, In Mark chapter 16, verses 4 to 5, as they drew close to the tomb, and they were probably quite close because, as you must recall, it was very early in the morning. 
The realisation breaks on them. The stone is rolled away. It's not where it was. It's not as it was when we last saw it. The mouth of the tomb is open. And of course that would, to a group of ladies, particularly I would imagine, would be a matter of concern. It was a matter to cause fear, trepidation. Either the grave has been robbed or vandalized or maybe even the body has been stolen. And they moved closer to take a look. And you know, this message tells us that when they looked in, in one of the accounts it says there's someone in there, a young man, but it's not the Lord. He's wearing a white garment. It's obviously an angel. Or was this a person? Fear took hold of them. They startle backwards. He sees them and he begins to talk. But as I read the story, they're not waiting to take a second look. His message is very clear. And maybe even as they were on their way away, he's saying, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Someone has raided the tomb and stolen the body. That comes out in John's Gospel, chapter 20 and verse 2. Mary Magdalene's distressing message to Peter and John, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. But the thrilling message is that it was true. It was her two companions which heard the message of the young man. Jesus was crucified. He is risen. The place where he laid is empty. Tell his disciples and tell Peter. Peter was the one who had denied him. Peter was the one who had gone out and wept bitterly. Peter was the one with the broken heart. But here's a compassionate Savior. Tell Peter. You know, Christianity is unique. It's the only religion in the world where the founder lived and died and lives again. The effects of the resurrection is my second thought. The events are recorded by the gospel writers. The effects are recorded by the epistle writers, those who gave us the epistles. Right from the book of Acts, we have a whole range of supernatural, spiritual and ethical fruits of the resurrection. It's the Apostle Paul who compounds them all into a group and gathers a whole lot of thoughts together in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he says, If Christ be not risen, our preaching is vain. Your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. We are found false witnesses. Those who have died have perished. There is no hope beyond the grave. We are of all people most miserable. And when you read that, and if you didn't ever read it before, then you would sum up the effects of that, that really there is no message. There is no one that we can trust. There is no forgiveness. And in fact, those who speak so are speaking falsely. But by arguing from the negative, the thrust of the fact, but now 
But now, but now is Christ risen, and it's all the more powerful when it's set against the backdrop of what way things would be were he still dead, still in a tomb. Preaching has substance, faith has foundation, sin has been purged away, the witnesses are genuine, there is eternal hope, misery has been banished, joy has taken its place. Historical faith says, Jesus Christ is alive. But saving faith says, Jesus Christ lives in me. And might I just at that point make an application and ask you, are you aware of an indwelling living Savior in your life? Have you come to know him? Is he merely a figure of history or is he alive in you? So many of the lovely songs that we have played today have been testimony songs, messages from people who knew him, who have come to know him. And like Mrs. Stewart and myself, we can say, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. That's the glory of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is not just alive, but he lives in me. And so many of you I know this afternoon, this day, or whatever time you listen to this program, you're able to say, yes, Pastor Eric, it's true. He's alive in me. I know it. And I remember the time when I passed from death to life and came from darkness to light and in the shadow of the cross and the glorious truth of the empty tomb. I enjoy a personal experience of Jesus Christ as my Savior, my sin-bearer, my wonderful living, indwelling Redeemer. Let me bring to you a brief moment of meditation on the ethics of the resurrection. The events of the resurrection are recorded in the Gospels. The effects of the resurrection are recorded in the epistles. But the ethics of the resurrection, how does the truth of the resurrection fashion my life? How does it work out in everyday living? Well, there's transformation. Because this Savior is alive. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us unto himself. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Like as Christ was raised from the dead, we also should walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. In other words, the talk must be followed by the walk. The fact changes the act. The things I used to do, I do them no more. The gospel of the resurrection is a life-transforming message. The gospel of the resurrection is also an emancipating message. There is emancipation. You say, well, what in the world kind of word is that? Well, it means liberating, setting free. The likeness of his resurrection, says the Apostle Paul, is that knowing 
our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, my friends, what the Savior did in his death was to carry not just the record of my sins, but that totality of sin, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more, praise the Lord, O my soul, the likeness of his resurrection. If we have been buried in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing something. Knowing what? Knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That surely is the fullness of salvation, or a full salvation, glorious freedom, wonderful freedom, inward deliverance, inward purity, servile bondage broken, and love service born. That's why I believe in a free salvation for all sinners and a full salvation from all sin. But of course, the transformation that stops me doing the old things that I used to do and the emancipation that sets me free from the impurity and corruption and perversity of the heart, the sin nature, the freedom from that, then there has to be communication. And so what we read in the record of Matthew's gospel is, Come, see, go, tell. It is the risen Savior who comes to his disciples and he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye into all the world. They had a message. Now they had a message which was going to girdle the globe. Now they had a message which was to be told to all men. And if Jesus is dead, we can forget about the mission of the man of Galilee. But because he's alive, his mission to seek and to save that which is lost has now been given into our hands, given to us as a responsibility that we become his ambassadors to take the message all around the world. If he is alive, and he is, the world must know. We've a story to tell to the nations that will turn their hearts to the right. It was Dr. Dale, very well-known congregationalist, and written a beautiful book and a Not only that, but was a very well-known preacher. One Easter Sunday morning before going into his pulpit, he was kneeling in his uh, office just before ascending the pulpit stairs. And he was praying and seeking the Lord. And the realization of the resurrection really came in on him with a tremendous freshness. Christ is alive, 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 alive. Can that really be true? Living as really as I, myself? Christ is living. The living Christ became his dominant theme. And that Easter Sunday morning, he preached the resurrection message with a verve and a vitality as if it had just happened and he had been an eyewitness. Let me ask you today, Are you living in the thrill and throb 
of the resurrection power and life of Jesus? Paul the Apostle said, O that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And this day, that's what we want. And this day, that's what we want for you. And I trust today that as you go on your journey, that the transforming, liberating, and communicating power of the empty tomb, the risen Savior, will dominate, control, and work through your life and your living. 